this is the book of Acts that brings hope because what we see at the very beginning is a continuation from the book of Luke. And one of the things that we're going to see is this is after the resurrection. And so when I study the book of Acts, it, it changes in, in, in a way how I see it right now and how it applies to me, how I, I have hope. Because I think about the disciples and what this was like for them. And to see the risen Lord walking around and to touch him and to know that he was real um, was something that, that brought incredible hope. So this morning we are going to pray and uh, we are going to ask the Holy Spirit to uh, speak to us and to help us to take from this what he would want us to take from it. Because um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm super excited going through the book of Acts. Uh, we're probably going to take 2014 uh, to go through this incredible book, and uh, we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads us. But um, let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we thank you that we could call you our Heavenly Father. And Lord, this morning, I'm also uh, mindful of um, Madeline, who is here, whose uh, son went, um, his son passed away earlier this morning. Uh, Father, we, we uh, pray that as a body of Christ, that we would be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep that you would teach us how to give comfort. Jesus, when you wept um, at the death of Lazarus, it wasn't that you didn't know where he was or what was going to happen. But Lord, you gave us that example. You, you showed us that when you wept, uh, Lord, there was real emotion there, emotion over his family, emotion over death itself that is our enemy. But Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered death. We thank you, Lord, that you rose again so that all of us have hope. And God, when we live in this life that we live in, we don't know how long we have. We don't know if you're coming back today. But Lord, for some of us that uh, face uh, grieving, we pray that you would give us comfort. And Father, we also pray that you would give us inspiration by your Holy Spirit to live our lives in a way that is meaningful and for eternity. And so we commit this study of the book of Acts to you. Bless it, Lord. Bless your people today. And we pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The acts of Jesus continue. If, um, if you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, we are going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we are going to look at uh, those scriptures. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Of the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This morning, when we look at the book of Acts and we begin this study, um, really, it's a, it's a study that I think is absolutely important. When you look at great Christian leaders and uh, biblical teachers, um, R.A. Torrey, Mart- Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, A.W. Tozier, uh, Chuck Smith, at the end of their lives, one of their greatest concerns was that the church would continue in the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Their, their great concern is that the church would continue to rely on the Holy Spirit rather than on our own strength or ingenuity or technology at all of these given times. And um, Pastor Chuck's book that just came out, his commentary in depth on the book of Acts just this last year, I'm going to read to you a part of the forward that I was pretty excited about. Pastor Chuck wrote, It's interesting to reach an age where people begin wondering out loud about your death. Every time I'm being interviewed of late, the interviewer always comes around to asking me what's going to happen when you die. I sometimes wonder about that myself. Like Peter, I think about what I'd like to leave behind when I depart. He wrote, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to to ensure that you have always a reminder of these things after my decease. That's 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. Pastor Chuck goes on to write, I can relate to that. I too want to leave behind a reminder of those truths I've been teaching to the church. That's one of the reasons I felt an urgency to write this commentary in the book of Acts. I want to pass on to the next generation the lessons the Lord has taught me in the ministry. But I was also motivated to write this commentary because of my concern for our pastors, my sons in the faith. Um, he goes on to speak of how uh, the church began and the ministry that the Lord used him in and the simplicity of teaching the word of God and relying upon the Holy Spirit. And he ends this uh, introduction with this. So what will happen after I die? I don't have any idea, but I do have a hope. I hope that our pastors will continue teaching the word of God line upon line and verse by verse. And I hope they will always remember that the power of the spirit lies in the reliance on the spirit. Just as the early church reached the whole world for Christ, and they were the only generation to ever succeed at doing that, we want to reach our world in these last days and give them the hope of the gospel. But we won't do it by strategizing. It can only happen as we let the Spirit lead. I was so excited to read this after I started my study through the book of Acts, and then I I looked on my shelf and I realized, oh, I just got this commentary at the pastor's conference last year, and so I picked it up and I, I read that. And uh, I think that that's a blessing, that that's what we're doing today. We're starting this verse-by-verse study, going into God's Word, looking at what God would speak to us about. And so I want to begin looking at this book of Acts um, as really the second of two volumes. Notice what it says with me in verse 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. When Luke is talking about his former account, what is he talking about? the book of Luke. Now realize this, Paul the Apostle wrote more books than any other author in the Bible, and yet uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But but really, Luke wrote this sheer volume of mass of writing. 
the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And without the Gospel of Luke, there would be much of Jesus' life that we would miss out on chronologically. And then when it comes to the book of Acts, if the book of Acts were not here, can you imagine what it would be like to read about the, the life of Christ and then all of a sudden jump into the epistles? I mean, you would go straight from the Gospels into... Now, this is what you're to do in, in, in the book of, you know, the book to the Romans and the Thessalonians and all these other books. And it would be like there's a gap missing. And the questions that we would ask is, what happened after Jesus died and he rose again? What, what happened to the early church? How did they rely upon the Holy Spirit? How did, how did they take this truth and live it out in their own lives? And that's the account that we have in the book of Acts. Now, realize this, that books were originally written on scrolls. The, the gospel of Luke was one scroll. And then he started his second scroll, which is uh, the book of Acts. Now, in your Bibles, you may have the book of Acts titled. And uh, in mine, it says the Acts of the Apostles is uh, the title of this book. But really, this, this book could be the Acts of Jesus. Because it's the second volume of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So this is the Acts of Jesus. And it's also the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, Throughout the book of Acts, one of the things that we're going to do is pause at certain places to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ today. And and, uh, it could also be called the acts of the church because it's the birth of the church and it's what God did through the apostles and through the church. And so really the theme that we are going to look at is God's spirit working through God's people to accomplish God's work. Because when Jesus ascended, His work didn't finish. In fact, we're still doing the work that he's called us to do. Do you remember that Jesus said in the Great Commission that we looked at, we we realized this, that he sent us to make disciples of all nations, and then he said, and lo, I am with you always. So Jesus is with us. And why is it called the Great Commission? Because we do it with him. It's his mission. We come alongside of him. It's not called the Great Mission. It's the Great Commission. So we come alongside of Jesus and and we do the work that he has called us to do. Now, Luke, um, he he loved this man, I believe, named Theophilus enough to write this whole, uh, these two volumes to Theophilus. The name Theophilus is an interesting name. Um, It means lover of God. And there are some people that believe that it's a generic term that means that the gospel of Luke and, and uh, the book of Acts is written to anyone that is a lover of God. And while that is true, it does apply to all of us who love God. I really believe that there was a man named Theophilus. When he addresses him, um, almost excellent Theophilus, he gives out this uh, historical document, the book of Luke and the book of Acts uh, of Jesus's life. And I think that when I look at that, um, Paul the apostle was on trial if you remember. And when Paul was on trial, it could be that the book of Acts was almost like Luke writing a testimony of Paul because in there are Paul's trials. In the book of Luke, it's Jesus's trials. And Luke includes all of the trials in depth, in detail, more than any other author. He goes into what it was like when Jesus was on trial and in the book of Acts, what it was like when Paul was on trial. Each government magistrate that he came up against and each one of them saying, I don't find anything wrong, anything deserving of death. It's just something about their, their religion. It could be that Theophilus was one of these government officials that may have been a believer and it was written to him almost like a, a court brief to say, hey, this is, this is what happened. Now, 
it's also important that we know that as we read this, it's not just history. This is his story. This is not just a historical document. Uh, We don't study this as uh, historians just looking at, hey, what happened in the Gospels? What happened in the book of Acts? We study this as disciples. And the difference between a disciple and a historian is a historian will look at it as an academic, um, you know, just looking back at history. I I don't know about you, but in high school, I, I really hated history until I got a history teacher that made U.S. history come alive. My junior year, all of a sudden, this history teacher made history come alive, and I started to see how U.S. history affects me. World history, not so much. I wasn't, I'm not a big, I still am not huge on world history. U.S. history, maybe because I live in the United States, and and, uh, a lot of the stories mean a lot to me, and the heroes mean a lot to me. Well, for us as disciples, this is not just a historical document. This is, this is a, a, a depiction of what Jesus did and how this applies to our lives as disciples. And remember, a disciple reads to become more like Christ. God has called us not only to learn, but also to teach. So if we are disciples, we're not only to take this in, we're to take this in and to teach it to someone else. Now, this morning, let me ask you this question. When Luke begins this letter to Theophilus, which means lover of God. Let me ask you, why are you here today? Just pause for a second. And honestly, not answering out loud, why are you here today? Now, sometimes we come out of habit. It's routine. Every Sunday, that's kind of what I do. Some of you came because someone else brought you. You know, your wife kind of dragged you here and you kind of didn't want to come, but you, you can't, maybe some of you came because football season's over and now like it's church season again because football season's over or it, it could be that your parents brought you. I mean, there's different reasons for coming to church. Um, it could be a guilty conscience. It could be New Year's resolutions. What I really hope is that we are here because we love God and because we want to grow in that relationship with God. When Jesus spoke about the greatest commandments, He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why we're here. We study the book of Acts, not as a historical document, but that we can love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we could love our neighbor as ourselves. that we could make disciples. And so we read this as disciples, realizing this is our mission. And the book of Acts shows us what that mission looked like in the early church. Now it says here in verse two, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The resurrected Christ. When we read the book of Acts, we realize that in this time between the book of Luke and the book of Acts, that Jesus, until the day that he was taken up through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments to the apostles. He was still teaching them. 40 days. That's a long time to spend with someone, especially when you realize that that time is short, especially when you realize Jesus has risen from the dead. What would you do with those 40 days? Just want you to think, what would you ask him? What, uh, what kind of things would Jesus, uh, would you be curious about? Jesus gave them commandments. He kept teaching them. 
like those three hours with my dad on the day he went to be with the Lord, these 40 days had such an impact on the apostles that Peter, who had denied Christ, and all of the other apostles that denied Christ and they fled, this 40-day period of time was so powerful that when you read their testimonies, they died brutal deaths because they believed in the resurrection. After all, if Jesus rose from the dead and said, I'm going to take you to where I am, wouldn't that give you some boldness? Wouldn't that give you some motivation? Wouldn't that give you some, I don't care what you do to me, because the worst you could do is send me to heaven. Wouldn't it give you some of that? Because that's what happened to Jesus. And when they see that's what happened to Jesus, they would realize that's what's going to happen to us. After this shock of the crucifixion, I think that the words that Jesus said really set in. In John 16, 7, Jesus said this. He said, however, I am telling you the truth. It's good for you that I am going away. Now, Jesus told the disciples before he died, it's good that I go away. Now, any of you that are are left behind um, from loved ones, it's hard to fathom that. It's good that they go away. So Jesus saying, it's good that I go away. What, What does he mean by that? He explains it by saying this. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, during this time, these 40 days, Jesus appears to 500 at one time. Uh, He appears to the 11 without Thomas or to the 10 without Thomas. And then later on, he appears to them with Thomas there who had doubted his existence. Uh, He appeared to Mary Magdalene and to the other women. He appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. There were times that it would be like he just appears and then disappears, appears and then disappears. Here he is, he's talking to them and all of a sudden he's gone. And I think he wanted them to get used to this fact that he's always going to be with them. See, when Jesus went away, one of the reasons why it's good that he goes away, he says, the helper won't come to you unless I go away. The Holy Spirit is with us today. Jesus in his bodily form was in one place at one time. Do you remember when Lazarus was sick? That, that Martha and Mary, they ran to get him. They had to bring him there. And they said, our brother Lazarus is sick. You know, or they sent messengers, you have to come. You have to, you have to minister to him because he was only in one place at one time. But I think that Jesus was showing them after the resurrection that when he said in, in Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always, he's showing them that I'm, I'm always with you. And I think that that would affect your conversation, wouldn't it? If you, if you thought that he just might, you know, just like uh, appear right there, uh, don't you think it would affect the way that you would do things or your spare time or your mission? And it would also affect your security because you know that Jesus is always with you. Now, when he said the helper uh, would come, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the helper. And uh, in the Greek, it's the word uh, parakletos. It's the one that would come alongside to comfort and to help. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. He's always with us, not, not um, limited to one place and one time. So he spoke to them of things pertaining to what? What does it say? The kingdom of God. In verse 3, he spoke to them pertaining things of the kingdom of God. And that's his ministry for us today. He wants to speak to us things pertaining to the kingdom of God, things that are going to last. Now, the kingdom of God is not just heaven. We think of kingdom of God sometimes as heaven. Yes, that is. 
But realize that when Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he talked about the realm, the reign of the king in our midst. So all of us that are here, if you're a follower of Christ, realize that you're a part of his kingdom. And as a part of his kingdom, even though we live in the United States and even though we live in you know, Santa Cruz County and we live in this place, we're kind of this dual citizenship where we're citizens, yes, of the United States, but really the main citizenship is that we're citizens of heaven. And as part of the kingdom, we're supposed to live in a way that people realize you're not from this place, are you? Uh, there's a, a cartoon movie called Rango. Uh, I don't know if you, you've seen it, but there's this one line where uh, Rango comes in and, and uh, there's a, a girl lizard that says, you ain't from around here, are you? And we always say that as a family, you ain't from around here, are you? When someone's acting kind of weird. Well, that, that's how people should see us. And it's okay if they think, hey, we're a little bit different. Like we hug you know, that's kind of weird. Like you just met someone and you start hugging them. You know, not, not everyone, but like I, I remember one of the ushers at Calvary Chapel Gilroy. He, w- he was known as the hugger. He would go hug everyone. And this one guy that was new to the church, he had been there for maybe a couple of years. It was two years before he let this guy hug him. And he said, I almost left the church because that guy, I knew he was going to come up to me and hug me. And so there were different entrances and as he would approach the church if he was ushering or greeting at that one door he'd walk out the other you know he'd come around the other side because he just it's kind of weird to him he's a new believer i'll tell you that that as believers there are things about us that should be different in how we respond to one another and how we, we respond to god in even a funeral um i think it was a difficult thing somewhat for some of the people that came to my dad's memorial service because they weren't believers and the gospel is preached, but they couldn't understand why there was also joy. They, they couldn't understand. In fact, some of them may have even felt it was a little sacrilegious for us to wear Hawaiian shirts uh, to my dad's burial service. Like we're supposed to dress all in black and be really sad. And we were really sad, but we were sad, but we were happy also. And I think that when the world sees us acting in, in ways that, that when Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, this is how they're going to know unbelievers are not going to open up for the most part a Bible to read it. Now, some people do, and that's how many times they become believers, but the epistle that they're going to read is you. They're going to read your life. They're going to read, what do you think is funny? They're going to read, what do you think is grievous? What, what burdens your heart? They're going to read how you respond to enemies and people that have hurt you. They're going to read how you respond to other believers. They're going to look at all of those things And those things all pertain to the kingdom of God. And I really pray that as we go through this, that we would be inspired and reminded to live for things that are eternal. In verse four, waiting for the father's promise. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus has just risen from the dead. They know what their great commission is to make disciples of all nations. There's this incredible sense of uh, joy, you know, anticipation, excitement. And then Jesus tells them to do something. He says, okay, now that I've risen from the dead, now that you've seen me, now that you have a message, now don't just stand there, do something, go. Does he say that? No. I would expect him to say that. Instead, he said, in a sense, 
Don't just do something, stand there. Have you ever heard of that, the phrase ready, fire, aim? You know, sometimes as Christians, we could do ready, fire, aim, and we can go off just doing whatever we want to do. And, and I, I'm guilty of it. There's been times when I've prayed about things in hindsight, after I've already gone down this road, taken this path, started this thing, then saying, God, I hope this is your will. Please bless it. And God is so gracious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes he corrects me. Sometimes I fall on my face and he has to bring me back. He's gracious. Don't, don't, don't worry about God's grace. If you have done that, realize that you could get back on track. But I really believe that there are times when we run ahead of God without waiting on the Lord. Now, we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, up, um, to come into our lives the way that they did, the way that the Holy Spirit entered the church. But we do have to wait on the Lord. And we do have to wait so that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the things that he's called us to do. Now, by your personality, some of you have the hardest time waiting. Probably most of you. I I, I don't like waiting for things. Um, I'm very convicted whenever I look at the description of love and the first descriptor is love is patient. And I'm always like, man, you know, love is patient because I hate waiting It's hard to wait. But some of you have a different personality. Some of you, all you want to do is wait. And you want to procrastinate and you keep putting off things that God has told you to do or things that you know you need to get done and you just keep waiting. And so God will tell you, hey, go ahead and go. And you just, "Uh, I'll just wait, you know. And and so there's, there's both of those. We can't be one or the other. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. So that when he says, wait upon me, we wait upon him. But when he says, go, we better go. Because even though he told them to wait upon him, and then he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. What did they do even after the Holy Spirit fell upon them? They all stayed in Jerusalem. And they kept waiting around. And what did God do? He sent persecution. And it began to scatter them to the places that he needed them to go. See, I think it's important that We wait for the Lord. It says in Psalm 27, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We we know that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, if we wait upon the Lord, he'll renew our strength. There are different times to wait upon the Lord. There are also times when the Holy Spirit has also shown us what we're supposed to do and we want to continue to wait. Mostly because of fear. Mostly because we're afraid of what's going to happen. Sometimes we're afraid of how people will respond. Sometimes we're afraid of, well, will you really provide for me if I do this thing that you've called me to do? Sometimes we're afraid of relationships and what other people will think. And it's important that we we walk in the spirit because if we lack strength, if we lack peace, if we lack faith to believe in the promises, wait upon the Lord. And yet, when the Lord tells us what to do, then go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, this is what is known as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of, you, um, some of you won't know what I'm talking about, but some of you will. Some of you came from uh, Catholic backgrounds. Some of you came from uh, cessationist backgrounds. You were a part of a, a denomination or a group of believers or a church that didn't believe in the sign gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit working today. Some of you came from charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, and and this is not new to you. And so in a body of Christ, when we look at God's word, it's important to to just 
we're not going to go as in-depth today as a topical study, but it's important to know what this is, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized in water, what happens? What happens physically? You get wet, all right? Um, I love it when we do the beach baptisms. After people are baptized and they come out of the water and there are people that are there on the beach and they, they go up to them and they hug them and they get the other people all wet. And sometimes they do it on purpose. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And like someone's dry and it's cold and they'll go and they'll hug them and they want them to get all wet. Baptism is being submerged. If you're baptized in water, you're submerged in water. If you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're submerged in the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit overflows in your life. Now, in the book of Joel, which we'll get to in chapter 2 a little bit more, um, it was prophesied, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, Peter points to the book of Joel and he says, this is that. What you're seeing right here is that. And so when we look at terms like baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to ground our belief and our faith and our doctrine in scripture, not just experience, not just what we've heard, not just what we've seen, but in scripture to look at God's truth. Now realize this, when Jesus in the book of John um, when they were all assembled, and this is after the resurrection, and Jesus had come to stand in their midst, he said, peace be with you. And, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then he said to them, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So this is, again, in that period of time after the resurrection. And when Jesus had said this, it says he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive what? The Holy Spirit. What happened when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> they received the Holy Spirit, all right? That's it's not like a real hard question. Uh, when Jesus said, uh, you know, receive the Holy Spirit, that's gonna happen. And so they received the Holy Spirit. But they were supposed to wait still. There was still this other experience that they were waiting for. This baptism with the Holy Spirit, this upon experience, as a born-again believer, we um, receive the Holy Spirit as far as indwelling our lives when we become a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Christ. That's called regeneration. Now, at that point, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Before that point, if I've never given my life to Christ and received him as my Savior and my Lord, if that has never happened, that regeneration hasn't happened yet, then he's with you and he's convicting you. He's showing you what's right. He's, he's showing you the truth. Your heart is beating right now because, because you know that this is kind of a, the thing that you're curious about and you know it has all eternity in the balance. And if you remember before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you. The Holy Spirit is with the world, convicting the world of sin. But there's a third experience, a, a third preposition in the Greek, the upon experience is where the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer, empowering that believer for service, empowering that believer to live a, a life that is victorious, empowering that believer to display not only the fruits of the Spirit, but to exercise different gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. So when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
suffice it to say this, um, the reason is because they would receive power in verse eight, and which we'll get to, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses to me. The Holy Spirit does not come upon us in power so that we can show off, so that we could do something, so that we could say, hey, look at me. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that we could be more like Christ and do the things that Christ has called us to do. So notice what it says with me in in verse six. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority. Their question is, knowing the prophecies in the Old Testament, Israel is going to be restored. Is this the time? We're gonna receive this this, um, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority but he wants them to focus on what they are to be focused on at this point. And it's right here in verse eight. But you shall receive what? Power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come, where? Upon you. And what will happen? You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus He tells them not to worry about these things that you don't know, but to really focus on what you are to wait on. And it's this, it's you're to be witnesses. You're to receive uh, this power. The word for power um, is the word that is used for dynamite. You know, boom. We we used to, when I was a kid on 4th of July, um, we used to go to Mexico. I'm just letting you know, we used to buy a bunch of fireworks, bottle rockets and firecrackers and M80s and cherry bombs. We'd come back. And my friend Javier and I, we, he lived across the street from me. We would, we would go down with my brother and we would buy all these things and we would sell them for a much higher profit in our neighborhood. And once in a while you would get these duds and everybody would run it. We were, we were like, we'd only get a few of the ones that were really the boom, you know, and, and those ones are, are, you know, the dangerous ones. I mean, they're all dangerous, but, but for us as kids, those are the really dangerous ones. And, and so you'd like those, you'd run really far away and you'd wait. And sometimes you'd wait and the fuse would go, and then it just kind of fades out and you're staring at it. Like, what are we gonna do now? And then so like, you, you, you don't wanna waste your money. You want the boom, but you don't wanna be the guy that does that because you could lose a hand. And so you're, you're just kind of waiting. So you throw things at it. Then you get a stick and you try to hit it with a stick. And then, and then you, you realize it's a dud. That thing's a dud. And I think that sometimes when people consider the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, I think sometimes they think, well, I tried that and it was a dud. It didn't work. Didn't catch. I felt like that when I was in junior high. Uh, my friend Ralphie, he, uh, he took me to one of his camps. I wasn't really understanding of any of these things at the time. I was just in, in junior high and he took me to this camp. And at the camp, uh, they told us that uh, we're gonna receive the Holy Ghost. Who wants to receive the Holy Ghost? Now that kind of freaked me out a little bit. As a kid, okay, who's gonna receive the Holy Ghost? And like, I don't know, you know, that sounds kind of scary. But I understand from my Catholic background, that's the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, okay, that sounds like it's a good thing. So yeah, I, I raised my hand. Oh, good, good, good. And they, they all come and they, they have everyone clear out. They move the chairs out. And I'm like, they're moving chairs? Like what's, what's gonna happen, you know, when this happens? And they all laid hands on me and they, they just started praying over me. And I'm kind of freaked out because just as I'm doing that, there's a girl that's over there on the side and all of a sudden she gets up and she starts walking around and, and this happens. 
her, her eyeballs go in the back of her head and just the whites of her eyes. And, 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 and then they say, everyone move out of the way, move out of the way. And so they're praying for me, but I'm looking at her going, is that, is that going to happen to me? So here was my prayer as an honest, um, faithful prayer, a childlike prayer. I said, God, if this is what you want, and if this is good, and if this is from you, then do whatever you want to do. I want whatever you have for me. I really believe that's a prayer that God would honor, especially in that childlike faith. God, if this is what you want for me, and if this is, if this is, uh, you know, if this is good and, and this is from you, then go ahead. And so I'm praying, God, please help me to receive the Holy Ghost. And I'm praying hard and they're praying louder. And after the five minutes, they start praying louder. And a couple of other guys come and it starts getting louder. And, and I'm just waiting for the boom, you know, and boom, where, where, when's that going to happen? And they, and then one by one, they start getting tired. And I don't know if it's 10 minutes. And like, I realize there's not eight guys here anymore. There's like three and then there's two. And then there's just one guy and he's still praying. And then finally he tells me it's not time yet. And then he walks away and I feel like the biggest loser. I'm a dud. You know, they, <laughs> the fuse was lit and here it, just, it is fizzled out. And I think that sometimes when people think of this baptism with the Holy Spirit, that we're expecting, boom, fireworks and and explosions. I'll tell you what, when I think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened in my life is when I was in high school, 16 years old. um, That summer between my sophomore year and junior year, I went back to a youth camp and uh, I didn't know for sure whether or not I knew the Lord. And, And the youth pastor said, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, And he said, and even if you're not sure, then go ahead and stand up and I want to pray for you. And I remember I stood up and after I prayed to receive Christ, I looked around and my friend Javier, the same guy that lived across the street, I I was hoping, because I invited him to go to this, if I'm going, you're going to come with me. And so he was at this thing with me and I stood up and I looked for him thinking, where's he? Because I want to make sure that he got the same thing that I got. He wasn't there. He ditched the session to meet a girl back at the cabin. So I'm looking for him and I can't find him. I'm like, where's Javier? Where's Javier? I run back to the cabin. I get to the cabin. Javier's there. And he's like, oh yeah, she didn't show up. And I was like, let me tell you. And I start to share with him the gospel. And I didn't quite understand the gospel. And this is the first time to my knowledge that I've ever told someone other than a family member that I love you. I said, Javier, I just want you to know. And tears started coming down my face. I said, I love you. And I want you to know the joy and the peace that I'm experiencing. And I want you to be with me. I think the Holy Spirit came upon me. I think he gave me an, a supernatural love. I think he gave me a gift of, of speaking evangelism and, and, and you know, outreach. I think he gave me this incredible sense of joy. Um, after that, Javier prayed, received Christ. We went back home and uh, they had a baptism. It was at Irwindale Pool, public pool. They were gonna have a baptism. We do it at the beach. They did it at a, at a pool. So we went to this pool and Javier and I, we got baptized. And previous to the baptism, even though I had already become a Christian, my language, my, my mouth was just foul. The way that I would speak, the words that I would use. And I always tried to stop cussing and, and I couldn't do it. I remember after that baptism, the physical baptism, a few days later, I just realized, you know what? My speech has kind of gotten cleaned up. Um, another thing that happened is I started to realize that, that I, I still had a temper but I could control it a lot better. I knew when the fuse was gonna be lit and I started to have self-control. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, at sometimes a person may speak in, in other prayer language, uh, 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 tongues. Someone else might have a word of prophecy. Someone else, you might feel like it's what happened. And you see the Holy Spirit gradually do this work of sanctification in your life. Just know this, 
in every background, whether it would be Baptist or Presbyterian or, or Pentecostal, you could read, whether it would be Billy Graham or D.L. Moody or, or Charles Finney, they called it different things at different times, but they all experienced this. It was the Holy Spirit's ministry and the life of someone that was already a believer, sometimes simultaneous to when they came to Christ, many times after they had come to Christ, and there was a change in their life where they began to have this desire for the things of God, this love for people, um, sometimes this anointing for giftedness. When you read Billy Graham's testimony, it was amazing. Up to that point as an evangelist, it was always thuds and duds, and, and he would always call people and and someone said, let's just pray. And all night they were praying and, and they just continued to pray. And he said he was overwhelmed by the sense of joy. And he said this sense of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and then the next day at that evangelistic crusade, more people came forward than at any other time. And I realized it's not me, but the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Do you need it? I do. Do you need to be filled? Absolutely. All of us need to be filled. This is not for super Christians. This is not for those real spiritual people. Like, I just, I'm barely a marginal. I'm on the team, but you know what? I'm not really a starter. And that guy's a starter, so and he gets this. No, it, it's not like that. It's for all of us. And it's received by faith to those that want that. It's not by works. It's not by, uh, I have to be holy enough and be good enough, and then I earn it. No, it's, it's received by grace through faith, just like salvation is received by grace through faith. And it's received so that we could do his mission. Notice he says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what will happen? You shall be witnesses to me. The greatest witness for Christ is a changed life. Now, remember when Luke began this, he said, this is all that Jesus did. You know, I'm I'm continuing this message of what Jesus began both to do and to teach. Notice the doing and the teaching have to go hand in hand. Um, Jesus is doing. Do you think people have problems with what Jesus did? No. He, he, he ministered to the poor. He healed people. Um, he, he went out to the sick. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the needy. Everyone, they, everyone has okay with that. Even non-Christians. Okay, I'm okay with that. You know what their problem is? Their problem is what, what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They had a big problem with that. They had a problem with him making himself out to be equal with God. They had a big problem with that. See, the problems come when someone only wants the power or the work of Jesus without the truth of God's word and what Jesus taught. And the two things must come hand in hand. And if we are going to be witnesses for him, then what we say to other people about God must match what we do. And when what we say matches what we do, guess what? Boom. There is a powerful testimony that people can't deny. If they only hear the words that you say, but they see your life and it's not any different, there's no power in that. If they only see your life, but you don't share the words, they're gonna think, wow, that guy's a nice guy, but I don't know why. When the words and the deeds come hand in hand and together, Jesus full of grace and truth, all of a sudden, there's a powerful witness. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he enables us to be his witnesses. And we close with this, with the ascension in verses nine through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, okay, he spoke and then they're watching him. He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now we read this as, oh, this is the ascension. 
think about what the disciples saw. How crazy is that? You know, it just, what did that look like when he ascended? You know, I just, I just imagine Jesus ascending. I remember when, when Rebecca was, was really little, um, she had a balloon and she lost the balloon and she was just in tears. And then Deanna goes, oh, it's okay, Rebecca, it's okay. You gave that balloon to Jesus. She said, you know, that balloon, you gave it to Jesus. You'll be very happy. You gave him that gift. And so she kind of stopped crying. And, and so we, we got to my, uh, my mom's house and my mom had this picture of Jesus and she walks right up to the picture and says, Jesus, did you like the balloon? You know, she just, she said that to him because that's how she saw it. But for her, as a, as a toddler, seeing a balloon fly away that was, you know, panic stricken and, and scary and sad because she had never seen that before. She didn't experience that. We know it's just helium. For the disciples, imagine Jesus, like he just ascends. And then these two angels they stood there and they, they stood by in white apparel and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? I mean, they just, they just must have been just staring and probably the same way that you watch a balloon until you can no longer see it. <laughs> Jesus is probably out of sight and they were probably just still staring. And these angels said, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So while it is important to know that Jesus is coming back, it is also important that we don't stop the work. It is important that we don't say, hey, you know, if the rapture's coming, so I'm going to buy a, a well out in Idaho and I'm going to buy property and guns so that no one comes and I'm just going to stay here and wait till Jesus takes us back. No, Jesus tells us to go to people. He tells us to remember that Jesus said that It's not those that are well that need a physician, but those that are sick. For the Son of Man has come to what? Seek and to save those who are lost. God has called us to be on mission with him. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, this book is the most discouraging book in the world. Because if you read this without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. You just feel like a failure. You just feel like it's impossible. You just feel like I'm not doing any of these things. But when you draw near to the Lord and you ask him to fill you with his spirit. And, and by the way, when we get to the epistles, when, when Paul writes to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a continual filling. To continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we leak, right? Because tomorrow there's no guarantee that I'll wake up just feeling like the joy of the Lord is my strength. I might wake up tomorrow just being grumpy because it's a Monday. So I need the filling of that Holy Spirit constantly in my life. As we pray, the worship team comes up to to pray or or to lead us into worship. I'm just going to pray for us by faith that we would be filled with the Spirit because the bottom line is this. Jesus is still working through his Holy Spirit to make disciples today. He's still working to conform us into his image, to make us witnesses. That work that he has begun in you, it says that he is faithful to complete it. And if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is that day by faith. Like I was when I was 16 years old and I wasn't quite sure because when I was five years old, I walked forward when Raul Reese had an altar call without anyone telling me to, I walked forward. But by the time I was 16 and I was on my own, it was just me and my mom living together. I really didn't know for sure. I didn't know what that meant for sure. If you don't know for sure, let today be the day that you know for sure. And as the Holy Spirit changes you, 
experience that love and that joy that he desires to give you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the promise that you gave. Lord, not only the promise of your son, not only the promise of salvation, but Lord, when you gave us the promise of the Father, the the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, first of all, I want to pray for anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Maybe they're not sure. Maybe as a kid, they made some profession, but they've gone their own way, and they're not really sure whether or not they have ever done that. I pray that today they would be... um, they would be sure. I pray that there would be assurance today. So if you've never received Christ or you're not sure if uh, you are saved, you don't know whether or not you would go to heaven if you died today, then I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm just gonna ask you wherever you are to pray this prayer along with me. Father, just pray it out loud. Father, forgive me for my sins. And I ask you, to fill me with your spirit. I receive Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I pray that you would help me to follow you all the days of my life. Use me to reach out to others. Help me to experience the life that you intended me to live. And I pray by faith, receiving this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, then afterwards, I just want you to let me know or let someone that brought you know, just so that we could pray for you and give you a Bible and explain things a little bit more, um, more fully to you. But I also want to pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, just that overflowing life. Maybe, maybe as a Christian, you've gone through a time of backsliding. Maybe it's a thing of you feel like God has told you what to do, but you're just so afraid to do it. You feel like you'd fall flat on your face and you're so scared to take a step. We need that power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna pray that for us. And if you would desire that overflowing work of God's spirit in your life, then then if you would pray this by faith with me. Father, again, we ask that you would fill us to overflowing. You'd baptize us with your spirit. And Lord, regardless of what our background is, of what that looks like or what we've heard, God, we know that we need the power of your spirit to be your witnesses. Father, I pray for anyone here that um, has just been struggling with with a backslid in life, maybe with an area of sin that they just can't get under control. Father, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those that you have called into specific areas of ministry that maybe, maybe, Lord, they're afraid and they're not sure, Lord, fill them with your spirit to take those steps of faith. Father, for those of us whose love has grown cold towards you and towards others, Lord, fill us with your spirit. We need to experience his work in our hearts so that we could love you and we could love others the way that you would want us to. So, Lord, by faith, we pray these things. And God, we um, expectantly look for what you want to do and what you're going to do in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.